I've been doing a fair bit of reading uh, recently and studying and thinking and meditating. And one of the things I've realized with greater clarity is if you want to communicate your values, your heart, your passion in this culture, in this world, you need to do it by, more by storytelling than by facts and figures. Uh, it's, it's concepts uh, doesn't do it in the same way that stories do. And, uh, and the, the culture around us has actually been better at doing that sometimes than the church. You know, and we, we have a better story to tell. We have a wonderful story to tell. Uh, but we, we just need to get hold of that story. And what's interesting is that lots of the way Jesus communicated was by telling stories. And, and the Bible is one big story with lots of stories interwoven into it. And uh, what I want to do uh, this morning is look at one story from Jesus' life, one encounter that I believe speaks to us today. And uh, if you've been in this church any length of time, uh, when I say what the story is, you'll think, been there, heard it, done it, because it is one of our favorites. But I just think there's always with these stories fresh little insights. And it can be found in John chapter 4. Um, if one or two of you want to look it up, just so that I don't get tempted to make stuff up. If I think no one is checking, I can, oh, the temptation to make it up is huge. And it's the story <coughs> of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. <coughs> now, Jesus was going from Judea uh, in the south of Israel to Galilee in the north. And uh, in between was Samaria, which was not part of Israel. And there was conflict between Jews and Samaritans. Um, and the, the respectable Jews, the religious Jews, and certainly the rabbis, they would take the long way round so that they didn't have to set foot in semi-pagan Samaria. And... Um, and Samaritans were like, they were beyond the pale. They were a little bit uncouth. They were, they were just not respectable. I, I don't know what the equivalent would be today. People who live in Hemel Hempstead. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've done it again. It's, it's my favorite one. I, I keep thinking one time I should say St. Albans, but just Hemel Hempstead fits. And um, that's a joke. And... Uh, um, but but they, were, they were beyond the pale. But Jesus uh, didn't do that. Jesus, it says here, now, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Now, Rabbi Jesus, uh, just to unpack this little passage, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't have a choice. He did have a choice. He, went, he chose to go through Samaria. And it says here, it was about noon. And he came to Jacob's well, and we find out later that he sent the disciples into Sychar, into town, into Sainsbury's to buy lunch. And while they were doing that, 
he sat at this well. And it was deliberate. It wasn't an accident. You know, in the middle of the day, in Israel, in the desert, where it's hot and dry and arid, you don't choose to sit in the open by a well without a bucket. It, he, 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 he should have gone into Sainsbury's with the other disciples where there would have been air conditioning or something, maybe not air conditioning, but, but where, where it would have been uh, a little bit cooler. But he stayed there for a reason. And we find out what the reason is. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, a few things. First of all, about the woman. I want to mention the woman and then the man, Jesus. First of all, about the woman. She came to this well in the middle of the day. It says it was about noon. And what's that saying? Only mad dogs and Englishmen um, stay out in the noonday, go out in the noonday sun. Well, in, 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 in Israel, in the desert, even mad dogs wouldn't go out in the noonday sun. Only Englishmen would do that. And, and she shouldn't have been there in the middle of the day. And remember, remember in those days, in those days, water was an utter, utter necessity. It was, a, it, you know, it wasn't like going to the supermarket to get a couple of bo bottles of San Pellegrino or should we get Diet Coke instead? It was like, it was like, if we don't have water, we die. And for her to be out with her bucket in the middle of the day meant she was desperate for water. So that's number one. Number two, she was on her own. There was no one else. In those days, the women would go together in the cool of the morning to draw water. And they'd go together for companionship, a bit like ladies today go to the toilet together, you know, which we find very strange. Um, but they, they would go for companionship, but they would also go for safety and security because there's safety in numbers. And she was there in the middle of the day, in the heat, and she was there on her own, which says two things. One, she really was desperate for water. She would have been really thirsty. She would have been really in need. And number two, she was an outcast. There was something wrong. Why was she on her own? No one else in the town would go with her. And we find out later almost certainly why she is an outcast. So that is her situation. Then Jesus. He's there because he's been waiting for her. He seeks the woman out. He waits for her. He could have gone the long way but he went the direct route. He could have stopped anywhere, but he stopped by that well. He waits for us. He waits for us. I'm going to try this. Those of you that are older, do you remember when we used to sing 
uh, that song, that worship song, I Found Jesus. Do you remember that one? I found Jesus. No, you don't. Okay. Well, some of us did sing that song. And you know what? There's truth in that. But before we ever found Jesus, Jesus found us. Jesus, that's the truth. Jesus found us. And Jesus found her. It wasn't an accident. Two months before my 16th birthday, not at a well in the desert, but on Barn Hill between Wembley and Harrow, Jesus met me. And he'd been waiting for me. And he came to me and he found me. Now, I thought at the beginning that I'd found him. But actually, before that ever happened, he found me. And he found you. He waited for you. He looked for you. He sought you out. Now, with this Samaritan woman, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, at first reading, that can seem like, you know, well, Jesus... Get your own drink. But that wasn't, that wasn't the tone at all. It wasn't like a, um, a, a, a superior saying to someone, a servant, get me a drink. Uh, what he was doing was he was honouring her and he was putting himself in the place of her debt. You've got a bucket. Could you give me a drink? And when we understand the culture of the time, As she says, as she says, um, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in case we don't quite get it, John puts in brackets, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And no respectable Jew would even have been there. No respectable rabbi rabbi would have stayed there when a Samaritan woman, it was... There was initially two things that were wrong with her to begin a conversation. One, she was a Samaritan. And secondly, you were a woman. And no one in leadership in that culture, in that culture, would begin a conversation with a strange woman in public. And Jesus broke all the taboos. He broke all the the norms in order to reach her, in order to to communicate with her. And he put himself in her debt. Could you do something for me? Now that was incredibly honouring of her. Do you have any idea how he honoured her? God said to her, could you give me something? God who didn't need anything given, he said, could you give me a drink of water? He began by raising her up. He honoured the outcast. And then when she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I just want to pause on that and just just repeat it line by line. 
if you knew the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, says Jesus to her. If you knew who was in front of you, who was with you. If you knew the gift of God. If I knew the gift of God. Not just for the first time, but many times. We so often don't recognise him when he's right next to us. We don't see him there in our circumstances. We don't appreciate him coming to speak to us. And we think he's just someone else on the road. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift, the gift of God, it's a gift, Jesus is telling her. Now we find out later that her lifestyle has not been great. That's why she's an outcast. No one in Sica wanted to know her. So she'd have come on her own thinking, I've got nothing to offer. And he begins with this woman who thinks she's got nothing to offer. He asks her for a drink. And then he says, if you knew the gift of God, that means you don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. God has a gift for you, you sinful Samaritan woman. I have a gift for you. I am the gift to you, you sinful Samaritan woman. If you knew the gift of God, Pilavachi, you slightly, very slightly, overweight Greek. If you knew the gift, why are you laughing when I said very slightly? <laughs> Take his name. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God, if you knew, and then, and who it is who asks you for a drink? you would have asked him, do you have any idea who it is who's asking you for a drink? If you knew, you would have asked him if we could only capture who he is. Boy, would we start asking. The, 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 the tragedy isn't that God doesn't answer prayer the tragedy is that there are so many prayers that God wants to answer but have never been asked. If you knew who it is, you would have asked him. Everything God wants to give us comes through Jesus. Jesus has the gift, but more than that, Jesus is the gift. And then he says, and he would have given you living water, living water. He turns this on its head. She knew that she needed the water from the well, 
because she would die without it. Because that water brings life. And then he says, you would have asked him and he would have given you, I would have given you living water. Because without living water, you die spiritually. You know you need water to live in this dry desert, but there's another kind of water you need in order to live and not just exist. And the tragedy is so many in our world, and frankly, sometimes even in the church of Jesus, people are existing when the, instead of living. It's existing day by day through life, through the drudgery, through the stuff, through the pain. And God calls us, he invites us, he invites us to life in all its fullness. And we need to recognise the truth of that because when we recognise the truth, that invades our situation and we move from existence to life in fullness. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It's a water, this living water that Jesus gives that quenches thirst permanently, permanently. And there's so many in our world, in fact, everyone in one way or another, who keep, uh, keep being thirsty, not for just for, for physical water, but for something more. C.S. Lewis, and I can't find where he said it, but I, I know he said, um, Jesus gives water that satisfies what he calls our longing for a distant country. He says, we walk through this earth, everyone does, and, and there's, everyone's got this, this area of longing. That those moments of, there has to be something more than this. There has to be something more. And, you know, we see it, we have Im imitations of it. Uh, in, our, in our lives at the moment. Do, do, do you know that sense of uh, when you have a wonderful moment? Yeah, there's this wonderful moment in your life, you want to bottle it. You want it to last forever. You don't want it to go away and you're sad because it's gone. For me, one of those moments is every spring and summer in my, back, in my garden, and I love my garden, and, and sitting in my garden after I've mowed the lawn and, um, and, um, and sorted out my garden personally, because I do my own gardening and, and I sort out um, you know, the, uh, where the plants are because I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing and I do it perfectly. And that's a lie. Because a friend of mine who's sitting here, who I won't embarrass, does it for me. Uh, but I get the benefit of it. I get the benefit. And I sit in my garden in a beautiful hot summer's day with a Diet Coke, reading a book, listening to the birds and watching my vines grow. yes. I sit there watching them grow. And I think in those moments, I don't want this moment to end. I don't want this day to end. This is beautiful. This is perfect. Or it may be you have a, a, a wonderful conversation with someone you love. Or you just have a, 
an experience with someone you love. I remember um, when we, we went um, to the Great Barrier Reef and I, with, I went with Andy, we went to do some ministry and then uh, we, we went off <laughs> snorkeling. And, um, and I, I went, I went onto the water and then all the other whales joined me. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I got, <laughs> I thought we've got a friend. Uh, but then when they left, just, just snorkeling on the reef and almost being able to touch the beautiful coral and the thousands of fish and the different colours. And as I looked at them, I thought, I don't want this to end. I'll never get, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Or it might be, whatever it might be for you. And you know when you get that feeling, it's like it's a glimpse it's just a glimpse of what is to be. It's a taster. And God created us with that longing for a distant country, for that longing for something more. I'm going to try this for a second time. Does anybody remember reading years ago the sacred diary of Adrian Plass? A few more, thank goodness. Well, in the Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, hilarious and powerful book, there's one point where he asks an old, a more mature older Christian and he gets embarrassed and he says, um, I'm, I'm scared of dying. I know there's heaven, but I don't really know what heaven's like. I don't really, and I'm not sure I want to go there because I want to stay here. And he gets, his lip trembles. And this more mature, older Christian says to him, very clever and very kind, he says, Adrian, what is the most thing you most love doing? What's your idea of a perfect day? And Adrian thought for a moment and uh, he said, that's an easy one. My perfect afternoon is watching cricket on the green and sitting there on a hot summer's afternoon, watching cricket with a cold beer in my hand. And then this older, more mature Christian said to him, in that case, Adrian, God is going to make heaven better than watching a game of cricket on the green with a cold beer in your hand on a hot summer afternoon. It will be better than that. You know what? We're, we're so earthly minded. Sometimes we're not any heavenly use. We need to catch a glimpse. We need to catch a glimpse of heaven again. Almost we need to teach on heaven again. We need to, we need to understand what it is and what it isn't. And I just want to tell you, for those of you that might be concerned, I promise you, I promise you, heaven is not, will not be an eternal church service that never ends. It will not be that. You know, sometimes we think, oh my goodness, because we read in Revelation that they sang again and again and again, holy, 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 and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't think, you know, and like you're thinking, please, please, if I have to sing some of those songs anymore, just, you know, to sing them forever, I'm, I, I'd rather go to the other place. It will not, no, we don't quite say that. That's not what it'll be. Heaven is what we were created for. Heaven isn't 
a destination. Heaven isn't a place. Folks, heaven is a person. It's a person. It's him. It's the one who created us for himself. Heaven is to be with our God and to find a joy that can never be taken away. And we can get foretastes of heaven now as he gives us living water. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Is that we were made for another world. And we were. But what we do, what we do, until we understand that there is living water, what we do is we try to fill the hole. And we find all sorts of ways to try and fill the hole. We can try and fill it with money, with relationships and connection, with status and reputation, with possessions. And we try and fill the hole with all sorts of things. And and you know what? When we're pursuing them, we, we have hope because we think, you know what? If I get there, I'll be truly content. I'll be truly happy. The tragedy is when we get everything we've been pursuing and we find it's not enough, we become bored and restless. We've mentioned this before, but... I think it was um, John Rock, D. Rockefeller, when he was the richest man in the world years ago, he was asked in an interview, how much money do you need in order to be happy? And the richest man in the world thought for a moment and his reply was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And... and And when we try to find substitutes for God, whether it's in possessions or relationships or status or or whatever it is, it's always just a little bit more. If if you longed to be Wimbledon tennis champion and and you got it, there would be a longing, I've got to do it again. I've got to do it again. If you get your first million I need a second million. If you get your, in whatever it is, and none of these, these things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. It's when we put them in the place of God. You know, relationships are good. Connections are good. We were made for that. But if we put all our eggs in that basket, we ruin them. Because the gift becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. We try to fill the hole. This woman was on her sixth man. This was her story. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. Now, it's interesting what he says here. He says, it's not, it won't be a well of water that you have to go to or even a well of water within you. It will be a spring of water within you, welling up within you. And if it's a well, you have to keep going to it. But if it's a spring, it keeps bubbling up. And it's very interesting that Jesus contrasts the well with the spring. He says, if you receive the water that I give, and he's talking about himself by his spirit, then then it will be constant. It will be a constant spring that will be bubbling up within you and there'll be enough for others. It will overflow from you. And he was, listen to who he was saying this to. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She still doesn't quite get it. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I love this, I love this God so much. He, he exposes her pain. He exposes her weakness, her sin. And you see how kindly and gently he does it. You're right in what you say. Yes, you're quite right. This is the situation. And he doesn't do it because he's cruel. He does it because he loves her and he wants to point out this is your area where you're trying to feed yourself on something that will never satisfy. This can stop now if you want. I can give you something better and that something better is me. And she'd been divorced five times. After you've gone through five divorces, why on earth would you want to have another go with a sixth person. You'd have learned this isn't working. And there was a need in her. And for some of us, the need expresses itself in wanting uh, possessions. For others, it's in relationships. For others, it, whatever it might be. And, and she, was, she, was, she was needy. And here's the bit that is the tragedy. She didn't divorce her five husbands because a woman couldn't initiate divorce in Jewish culture then. They divorced her. Five husbands rejected her. Five husbands rejected her and she was on her sixth man. And Jesus said, he was saying, this isn't ever going to work. She was isolated. She was alone. She was drawing water in the middle of the day because no one else would go with her. She'd been rejected five times. Jesus faced her with past because he wanted to face her with the problem so that she might be healed. The living water Jesus gives, which is himself, is permanent. It's from within. It's from within. And then, when he says that to her, she then 
turns to ask about worship. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship we do know, what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And what he's saying, you see, do you notice she came interested in water, now she wants to know about worship. Where do we worship? And Jesus says, no, no, you got it wrong. It's not, it's not here on this mountain. It's not in Jerusalem. Because it's not about a place. It's about a person. It's about relationship. It's in spirit and in truth. It's, worship is about a relationship, not a religious practice. And we need to remind ourselves of that again and again and again. When we come together, when we're on our own, this is not my religious observance. This is my relationship. This is what counts. And how does it work? I'll tell you how it works. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I love this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And he says, this is what makes it. I'm the living water. I'm the answer. I'm your life source. Come to me. Come to me. Come and live in me and let me live in you. And I finish with this. The woman then goes back into Sica and she tells everyone in Sica, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The woman who had lived in isolation as an outcast, suddenly had a purpose. She suddenly had a purpose that was more than herself. She went back and she said, and, and she was no longer the outcast because they came, they followed her. The town that had ignored her then followed her out to the well. Isn't that amazing? No longer an outcast after she met Jesus but someone with a message, someone with a promise, someone with hope. And this is the best bit for me. It says, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, she left her bucket. She'd come in the heat of the noonday with her bucket desperate for water. After an encounter with Jesus, she forgot about the bucket because she had something better. 
she had someone better. On the, how does this happen? On the cross, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Jesus thirsted on the cross so that we would never thirst again. This is my third strike as we finish. Does anyone else remember singing that old chorus? No, never thirst again. No, never thirst again. No, never. No, okay, three or four of you. Well, I'm, I just need to say to you, you may as well know now, I'm leaving Soul Survivor Watford and I'm going to plant a new church in a residential home for elderly people. <laughs> where I can relate. <laughs> Never thirst again. She left her bucket. He died in our place and now by his spirit he lives in our place. And the outworking of this is obvious. It's relationship. This is the better story we pursue. As with her, her encounter changed her. Oh, that we would say, Jesus, meet me at my well. Meet me at my place of thirst. Meet me at my place. And Lord, Lord, may you be a spring within me bubbling up, bubbling up, that there would be an overflow for others. This is our inheritance, not to exist, but to live and to live life to the full, to live a life of love and joy and peace because he meets us at our well.